chapter 13. Genesis 13 at verse 1, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So far from God's holy word, dear congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, this chapter picks up with Abram, as it says, retracing his steps you know, to the first when he arrived um, in the land of Canaan to begin with. So now he's coming back from Egypt through the Negev, which is the southern part of Judah, and up to the place where he built the altar to the Lord in this new land. God had protected him and blessed him even when things seemed desperate in famine, and the famine pushed him into what he felt was a very dangerous situation in Egypt, surrounded by people that don't care at all about the Lord and that might do him great harm. One important focal point in this passage, so it seems to me, is that sort of it's bookended with altars. You know, he goes back to where he first built an altar, and then by the time the passage is over, he builds another one. And um, he returns safely and worships God, you know, by way of these altars. So it's a... It's, uh, a passage that sort of highlights the worship of God and the care of God um, wherever he goes, wherever he's been and wherever he's going. That's good for us to see. It highlights, uh, you, know, the, you know, faith in God and the trustworthiness that God shows wherever Abraham goes. 
and uh, that God will bring him ultimately to the place where he would thrive and his faith would thrive, where God uh, would make him fruitful and prosper to a degree that's hard to imagine, like counting the dust, if that were possible, is the degree to which God plans to bless him. And this is what Abraham believes, and this is what he rejoices over as he worships God in front of the altar. Uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, it's an interesting passage because this prosperity that he is already enjoying, um, it, it occasions the next challenge. Abraham and Lot were, were, em, uh, were threatened before by uh, a terrible famine. So, so they were threatened with being emptied out, with, with being drained because of a, a rather serious famine. Um, and now we see that their prosperity is a cause of tension. So before it was we have to leave uh, to Egypt because of a famine. Now we're too big to stay together. And there is striving and competition between their men for the resources that are necessary to care for this many animals and the pasture land that's needed uh, and, and water is needed. Uh, and we can see this underlying tension also brings... Uh, a lurking spiritual threat that ends up playing out in the following chapters. And I think that also is helpful for us. It's wise for us to think this way in our own lives. Is it really ever, when it comes to the threats, you know, uh, the threats of life, not enough money, not enough resources, um, is it ever just about money or just about disputes over things? Um, is it ever just about the, the, the things that I want or the homes that I, the home that I have or don't have or what, what opportunities are open to me or not? We know that conflicts and troubles and challenges, they always come with an underlying spiritual element. They come with an underlying opportunity to practice spiritual thinking and to increase our trust in the Lord and depend on him um, to come through with spiritual obedience. And we ought to be reading that way. We ought to be thinking that way as we look at this passage also. The actions of Abram stand out when compared to the, the foolish choices of Lot in this case. And the contrast gives us some tools to understand the spiritual significance of this passage, that Abram acts faithfully towards God and generously faithfully towards his nephew, and God affirms his actions, whereas Lot starts to go towards his destruction. He starts to go towards ruin in this passage. He takes his first steps down a pathway that leads nowhere good uh, in his life. So although God had given Abram the promise and the primary place in this gracious covenant, both of the passages we read in this service talk about it and it's very powerful. God gives him that primary place. God had called Abram, not Lot. Abram kindly defers to Lot's choice. You know, how are we going to solve this? And I give you, as it were, the better portion. He treats him like an equal and allows him to have the first pick of everything in the land. And think about what that means for Abram and for Lot's character. 
Abram demonstrates great faith. While we know he's capable of weakness and instability, like what we saw in Egypt was not in every way admirable, here Abram is so secure in God's blessing and he's so assured about God's future for him that he doesn't hesitate to make peace. He doesn't hesitate to show generosity towards Lot, his nephew. And he doesn't really give a thought to his stuff, to his power, to pride, to wealth. He acts with kindness. He demonstrates faith in God and a heart which is not beholden to things. And this happens again when he rescues Lot, you know, as, as time goes on. But he, he demonstrates great faith in those times. And, you know, we, we ought to know the pull of money and prosperity that it has on our hearts. It's, it's really a surprise that great prosperity, um, it's, it's no surprise that prosperity had harmed Lot's thinking, and it's maybe a surprise that it hadn't done so to Abraham. If we, you know, if we think honestly about success and how it makes us proud or how it makes us unresponsive spiritually. So here uh, you see Lot, um, his prosperity caused him to think differently about his uncle who in many ways, you know, Lot could have discerned, was the source of his success, um, you know, by the power of God and by the word of God. You know, here you see that money causes us in, in some ways to break off affection, you know, to break off love for one another. We know that it causes contention where there should be brotherly love, where there should be harmony. It causes us to trash relationships with people, and spike the peace to get what we want or to protect what's ours. And the love for money and the chasing of stuff in this world, it causes us to think about our own rights and our own sort of our own kingdom apart from God's provision. And the temptation is there to accept what comes, no longer to accept what comes from God's hand and to think of it that way, but to think about what we could get and how we can continue to prosper in a never-ending way. We're tempted to, you know, to, to race, you know, the rat race instead of the race of faith. And to be closed-fisted, we're tempted to be go-getters at the expense of others. And those are attitudes and reasons um, that we have to, you know, consider what, what Jesus has said, that the love of money, you know, um, and, and the, the want of it causes us to, to serve another master and that you can't serve both. And we see this in the lives of people and in our own lives, that, that such, a, you know, such an attitude would drag us away from the sacrificial altar such an attitude drags us away from the cross of Jesus and makes us distant from him. And so you have Abram's generosity set against Lot's sort of foolishness, that, that, that it was acceptable to Lot to separate um, and to drift the way that he drifts towards Sodom um, should tell us something. You know, Abram, Abram is unafraid for his future and seemingly unconcerned for his wealth and Lot 
you know, chooses for himself in a way that, that ends up destabilizing his life. Lot didn't recognize where his peace and his blessings really came from. They didn't come from his wealth. They didn't come from his continued prosperity. He should have realized by the direct promises of God, which he would have been familiar with, by the way that Abram lives and worships and by, by what God has revealed about him, that it was not apart from Abram but close to him that his blessing would be secure, knowing that God had made deep and astoundingly generous promises to Abram and that his entire journey was built on the promise of God. I'm going to leave what I know and I'm going to journey to a land where, you know, where I'm an alien and a sojourner. Um, you know, Lot should have and, and could have recognized that it was, you know, his place uh, of blessing was with Abram at the altar. You know, it was, it was with Abram worshiping the Lord, and, um, and that his highest, his highest blessing was to share the faith of Abraham and to stay near to him. And for that matter, it's still how God makes salvation today, so that in the New Testament, our, our faith is pictured as joining in Abram's family, and our faith is pictured as being sons of the promise, like Isaac, about whom we were just reading. And our faith is pictured as sharing um, the, the same faith as our father in the faith, Abram, and who would become Abraham to include us, the father of nations. That's, that's the, the meaning of his name change. And by the time we get to Abraham, we're the Ham, we're the, we're, we're the nations that are coming in. That's how his name is changed, that God decided to bless the entire world through him. So Lot had followed Abraham this far, only to separate from him to, uh, to his ruin, distancing himself from Abram. It showed uh, you know, a, a lack of wisdom, a lack of judgment, um, that, that plays out terribly for him. Lot would have been better off not letting Abram defer to him, but deferring to his uncle. And instead he chose the best of the land for his own and made a break. And it's the classic example of a decision by sight, as it were, not by faith. You can tell, you can tell by the way that the author you know, foreshadows about Lot's choice that this is before Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. I mean, he, he makes, a, you know, a pretty uh, ominous reference right then and there. You know, it all looked beautiful. That's before it became a charred ruin, before it became a smoking furnace of God's judgment. Well, yeah, it would look beautiful before that. And this is, this is how the land looked before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And this decision was a spiritual disaster since Lot pitched his tent near Sodom, which is described as full of wicked men, great sinners before the Lord. Discernment before God and wisdom that comes from him, like it says in Proverbs 4, these are what bring grace and honor and wealth and a future wisdom in God's eyes. And Lot, as it were, you know, looked at what looked 
what appeared to be a paradise, like the garden of the Lord, but his eyes had deceived him. And he put himself in terrible danger. If we can't identify with that, then we're not reading very well. God calls on each of us to be careful about our wants, to be careful about, about the want of ease, the want of convenience, the want of wealth. He urges us to be careful and don't fall for the oldest kinds of traps that the devil you know, has, has laid out to snare us. You know, does all he need to do, you know, with the way the scripture describes these things, is put like a little bait under the box, you know, with the little stick propping it up and just hold the rope and wait for us to go for the bait? I, I, I saw a really gross rodent trap. You guys ever seen the rat bucket, you know, the one that has a little ramp and you put a little bit of food at the right spot and they just fall into a five-gallon bucket and it's like, this bucket can hold a thousand rats or whatever. It's like, gross. They're all going to die in this bucket and then you just throw the bucket away? Um, the, is, is it that easy that we just, you know, we want some peanut butter or some cheese or whatever rats like and that's it and we're in the rat bucket? Um, knowing their wickedness, Lot had to have turned a blind eye Grieved by it, but not grieved enough to depart, apparently. This is, uh, you know, this is an interesting thing to think about. You know, their wickedness was very great. They were exceedingly wicked. They're, they were great sinners, you know, and that's not an encouragement, you know, like, oh, you're, you know, you're really great at basketball or whatever. It's like, no, they're great sinners. You're, you're, uh, that's heavy. That's awful. They're great sinners, Think of how much evil that Lot would have to ignore, he would have to hear, compared to when he lived with Abraham, who, wherever he went, built an altar and lived according to the commands and the precepts that God had shown him. It had to be a giant contrast, living and worshiping at Abram's side next to the Lord's altar, and then living in Sodom, where people don't care at all about the things of the Lord. Lot apparently chose, he chose poorly, chose not to care, or he was grieved by it, but did not remove himself, because the prospect of wealth and increase was so great, fulfillment in a variety of ways that he was interested in. Something, you know, for us to consider, that, that, you know, do we treat the things of the Lord this way? Is this how we treat our spiritual life, treat God this way, and treat church this way? I know I'm drifting, but I want what I want, you know? So, uh, so there's, there's a limit, you know, capped on how much time I will devote to the Lord in worship, or there's a limit to my service, or I have only so much time for the things of the Lord because after, you know, I want what I want. And when we, when we examine our priorities and we say, you know, the, the promise of gain is the promise of gain leading to spiritual wreckage and I'm justifying it and I just, you know, plug my ears to it or I, I, I you know, blinder myself to it because the prospect of gain or the prospect of ease or the prospect of some temporary pleasure um, makes us justify what is a spiritual decline or spiritual lethargy. 
we, we're prone to act this way, you know, stifle, stifling the, the real evaluation of our choices because they're profitable, stifling the, the real evaluation of our obedience because we don't really want to hear the answer. Um, is, it, is it really acceptable in God's eyes that we're, you know, our walk with the Lord, you know, teeters and coasts and even comes to a halt because we're just, we're just busy. Is that really acceptable? Or our worship is threatened because of, you know, of our commitment to other, you know, to other things, commitment to work. We undermine our prayer life for pennies and the costs don't hit home right away, but they are costly. And it can create great damage and great misery. And for Lot, it strips him. Imagine, um, you know, imagine Lot thinking about, like, I had, I had everything. And I lost it all. That's, you know, he, he would look at his life and say, you know, I'm, I'm like living in a cave. After, after the time of disaster comes, after this all plays out, I had everything. And I have nothing. And I know exactly why, because I wandered my tent further and further towards Sodom, which was not known for building an altar to the Lord, and it was not known for a covenant with him. It was known for its exceeding wickedness. But I, you know, I wandered my way over there. He, he, know, he would know why. So Lot joins himself with the company of the wicked men of Sodom. He chose his friends and his company poorly. Let the wise take note. He stopped identifying with Abraham, and he moved his tents, you know, to, to Sodom he, uh, until he was in the city. And that's something to think. I'm sick of living this way. You know, I'm, I'm, sick, of, I'm sick of the nomadic lifestyle, which Hebrews describes as Abraham living like he's searching for a city that has a permanent foundation. So Lot wasn't the only one wanting a city, but Abram, Abram was, was on his way to the kingdom, and Lot, you know, getting tired of, as it were, tired of the pilgrimage, found one early. And look what it cost him. It cost him everything. Tired of the temporary tent. Uh, he'd grown weary of it. And, um, you know, maybe tired, tired of spiritual things, tired of self-control. The men of Sodom had none. Tired of God's standards. The men of Sodom had none. Um, and, and this is, you know, this is how it often is for people that are floundering in their spiritual life or people that are immature uh, and lacking wisdom and lacking judgment in their spiritual life. It's easy to be out among the people that are more that are fun, and that's all they care about. And so you can't break the rules because there are none, and you can't you can't do wrong because we do whatever we feel like. And uh, you know, spiritual immaturity is a spiritual is a great threat to us when we think this way, where I never I never grow up. I never. I never develop the discipline of a spiritual life. And I, I establish and build no commitments in my spiritual walk. We have to think this way. You know, young people have to think this way. All Christians have to think this way. 
that I, I build, uh, I build with the hope that, that my spiritual life will grow and be able to withstand storms and be able to withstand trouble because, uh, you know, because in the times where, uh, where there is great difficulty, now there's no, there's no time to build that maturity. It has to be there. And there's no time to build that wisdom that should have already been there. And here you have, you know, some example of this thought that we give up, we give up the standards um, of, uh, and the rigidity, as it were, of, of God's commands, and we reap the whirlwind from it. Lot's desire for the company of wicked men cost him all his possessions. The men of Sodom turned on him for harm. It cost him the death of his wife. It cost him widowed daughters. God made Lot an example of one who allows his, his, you know, his eyes to choose for him and lacks good judgment to connect choices to consequences. And it says in Galatians 6.8, the one who sows to his own flesh will fl- from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Once Lot had separated from Abram, God reaffirms his promise to Abram, right? Abram had done what comes from faith. What we know is is the fruit of faith in Jesus, the kind of humility, the kind of peacemaking that he showed in this exchange. Abram gives up his rights to make peace between brothers. Jesus called the peacemakers sons of God. And sacrificial peacemaking is a fruit of the Spirit, which is applauded from one end of the Scripture to the other. Proverbs 25, it it talks about how uh, peaceful generosity disarms our enemies and invites God's reward. James 3 says, but the wisdom from above is first, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think about that. It's interesting language, right? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And they will reap because of what they're sowing. They will reap. So faith in God and the the sowing of his peace is blessed by God and God gives him this incredible promise. Look around. Every direction that you look, it's yours. Look north, south, east, west. God will dispossess others and give it to you. And what they cherish and what they want and what is, what is profitable in their eyes, it's going to end up in your hands. It's going to end up in the hands of your descendants. The Christ-like character of Abram is a model and a prefigure, the kind of savior who would open up God's blessings and pour them out to the whole world. That's a strong connection to Ephesians 2 that we were looking at earlier. He's poured out the riches of Christ. It's ours. Anyone, Anyone that blessed Abraham would be blessed. That was the message in the Old Testament. You know, that was to understand the covenant that God had made. Well, now we understand all the more that anyone who is bonded by faith to Jesus, they have 
the riches of God poured out to them, the riches of his grace, the riches of his forgiveness and kindness, the riches of Christ, immeasurable. Abram, in this exchange, made himself nothing, and God promised him so much that it was like, it was like a, a, a fool's errand to, to, to even count it. It's too much. Incredible blessing lifting him up to the greatest heights of undeserved favor. Doesn't that sound like something we've heard before? Like the Savior who went down, 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 even to death, and now God has raised him to the highest place. We have to be with him. We have got to, we have got to bond ourselves by faith to Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples... No, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Is this not about him as well? We need to share, we need to share in him. And Abram, the man of faith, had a share in him from way back. And a place at the altar, worshiping faith that, that reached out for Jesus. His faith was locked onto God's righteousness. It found its anchor ultimately in Christ at the center. And this is another instance of, you know, what is shown, what is shown in part now is, is open, is revealed. How are we going to get, you know, to the paradise the, and the true garden, as it were, the, 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 the true sanctuary. You know that the sanctuary is patterned like a garden. You know, the pomegranates and the, the decorations of the sanctuary. Uh, they help us understand what's going on here. You know, Lot follows his eyes to, you know, the, the temporary garden. But Jesus is drawing us into the holy of holies, fellowship with God in his, as it were, the, the garden sanctuary of his blessings, full fellowship with God and all the riches that attend to it. And Abram's faith is rooted there at the crude altars that he built out of uncut stones, the ones that, that you know, were, were outwardly nothing, but they were pointing to the rich inheritance that comes from God. His faith made him the heir of overwhelming promises and blessing and fulfillment, and he worships, he worships everywhere on this account. He built the altar then at the close of this passage in Hebron. And he came before God's altar with praise. This is, this is the lesson for us that gets repeated and repeated and repeated and signed and, and illustrated and shown uh, that those who put their faith in God, they will have the return that God promises. Those who now are focusing in on his Savior, his Christ, the very center of his blessing, his purpose, and all of that sacrificial faith, they'll have all the riches of Christ as their own. We can't drift off the way that we see Lot doing here. We have to repent of, of, any, of any wedge of any sluggishness, of anything that us, let no earthly gain stifle us or slow us down. 
No, you know, no earthly benefits stifling our prayers, no earthly wealth, uh, and the busyness that is required um, to get it hindering our worship, no worldly desires stifling our close fellowship with Jesus. When we're near to him, that's where our blessing is rooted. That's where, that's where the life-giving vine is giving its nourishment to the branches. God will give you peace and comfort. God will give you assurance and a foundation. God will give you an inheritance and a rich kingdom and future everlasting with him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer that we could value things rightly since so often we place a high value on things that are passing away. When we place a high value on the praise of people who are passing away. When we need the riches of Christ and we need uh, the commendation of Christ to be good and faithful servants of him, fixing our eyes on him, wanting only him, and finding that when we lose other things to have Christ, he returns to us and then some, all those things that we were lacking. So Lord, we pray that we would seek your kingdom, seek your righteousness, and we trust that you will add every blessing that attends the life of faith. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.